0: So if you want to turn to Psalm 113, that'll be good. And as you turn to Psalm 113, put a little note or, a, you know, mark that somehow. And I want you to turn with me over to Matthew 26. And let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you for this evening and we thank you for your word. Wow, your word. Able to reprove and Correct. And encourage and build up and so many other things, Lord. So we're just saying tonight, take our hearts, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, and knit these things to our very being. And then help us by your resource and strength to live these things out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to have Josie or Gabe, one of them, uh, put up a picture and uh, here's the picture, sort of. This is sort of uh, in Jerusalem. Not sort of, this is in Jerusalem. And, um, you know, some. now we've taken two trips to Jerusalem as a church, or Israel as a church, and what an amazing blessing it is. And um, they don't exactly know which upper room was the upper room, because there are several in Jerusalem and there are several in this area of the city. But they take people to this one. And so uh, I just thought I'd put up the upper room. The other half looks almost exactly alike that. And uh, I want you to, us to read something together that will uh, pave the way for Psalm 113. So here's what I, I, I propose we do. Go to verse 17, and it says... Matthew 26 On the first day of the feast of unleavened bread the disciples came to Jesus saying to him Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the passover And he said Go into the city to a certain man and say to him The teacher says my time is at hand I will keep the passover at your house with my disciples So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they directed them excuse me and they prepared the passover At this time, if you read John 13 through 17, there's this long four chapter, four and a half chapter discourse in the upper room. That happens between verse 19 and verse 20. So you're spending a lot of time here in this upper room in a little corner of Jerusalem. And when evening had come, verse 20, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said to him, you've said it. Now all I'm trying to point out is that's where it happened or, or someplace very close to that. And it was very tense. And it was celebratory but sad. Betrayal but happy and joy. And all those things were all mixed together. And they're eating, and they're fellowshipping together, and uh, things are about ready to happen to Jesus, our Lord. And look in verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Very familiar story to all of you, correct? Correct. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins, a fancy way of saying forgiveness. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And here's why I read you this whole thing. And when they had sung a hymn, folks, Jesus sang. And when they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, I'm going to put up a little map, or they're going to put up a little map. And here is the upper room. And there is the Mount of Olives. And you're talking maybe, I don't know, a mile or something you come around there and you can see it and you see these you see these walkway thingies this is how they sort of got around you know they didn't go this way they went this way and this is Caiaphas's residence probably right there and this is the way they walked and when they walked they sang isn't that fascinating put up the next slide would you please and this is what they walked on they walked on these steps, and the only reason I'm telling you that is, well, there's a number of reasons, but one of the reasons is, is um, just sort of taking a side note, when we go to Israel, the first time that we went to Israel, we never got to see this. The second time, our guide took us here, to Caiaphas' residence, and what's fascinating about Israel is when you go somewhere and they say, oh, you walked where Jesus walked, well, maybe. Maybe depends on what you mean. Most places where they say that, Jesus walked here, but you're walking on dirt that's piled up way up here. But that's not the case here. In this case, Jesus actually, this is one of the intact routes over to the Mount of Olives over here. You got it? And um, I'm showing you that because here Jesus is. He comes out of the upper room, right around Caiaphas's house, and he, dry, he walks, and he's walking with his uh, disciples, and guess what they're doing? One of the things they're doing is they're singing. Because at the Passover, at the Passover, you would sing the Psalms that we're about ready to read. So when you read what we're about ready to read, you're reading what our Lord and Savior was singing and thinking about, watch, just hours before he was crucified. So when we get to Psalm 113, turn there, these are called the Hillel Psalms, and even these first couple are called the Egyptian Hillel Psalms because they're thinking about their exodus out of Egypt. And Hillel means praise, praise. Praise. These are those psalms. These are the ones that our Lord and Savior would sing during the Passover. Not just him, all of the Jews, but he was included in this, right? So let's read it. Praise the Lord. Praise all servants of the Lord. Praise... The name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. Our Lord is singing this. His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high? Who humbles himself Can you imagine Jesus singing this one, this verse right here? Who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap. Anybody ever felt like they were in the ash heap? That he may seat him or her with princes. Princes with the princes of his people. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Now, I've been twice, and um, the second time we went, almost every day was gray and overcast, and it was really very cold. It was the coldest March in 60 or 70 years. It was really cold, <laughs> in the 30s, and the 40s sometimes, and uh, that's rare. But the first time we went, um, it was really very sunny and beautiful and always sunny and uh, clear. And one of the striking things about being in Jerusalem, the city, is all the buildings in the old city are made out of what many call Jerusalem stone. Uh, this stone that's grayish or sandy color and all of that. And uh, the reason I'm telling you that is uh, my favorite time that I've been in there is the time of uh, dusk when the shadows are long and the golden sun is hitting those stones. And I can just imagine, can't you, the Lord coming out of there, been a beautiful night, and he's coming, and now here he's walking down those paths And the group begins to sing this (laughs) psalm. Just praising the Lord. No reason, you see. There's no reason associated with the beginning. That's been the beginning of two or three psalms before. Just praise the Lord. (laughs) In fact, I think Olivia's last song there kind of just told us to praise the Lord for his beautiness, or beautifulness, and or his beauty, sorry, and uh, just his holiness. Just praise the Lord. He's worthy to be praised. And then he goes on and he says, praise, O servants of the Lord. If God is worthy to be praised just because of who he is, and he is, I want you to consider this. People who serve As a servant of the Lord, know that in leaps and bounds. And Why would I say that? Well, uh, if you've been traveling with us in the book uh, Warren Wiersbe has uh, written, and we've been going over for several weeks, one of the first things we learned in the service of the Lord is that we don't have to be manufacturers of anything, like God's love. We're not manufacturers of it, we're simply distributors of God's love or God's mercy or God's grace as he chooses to fill us and live in and through us and develop fruit in us. There's never any pressure to manufacture anything. We simply distribute all that the Lord gives to us. And so it's such a privilege. And when the Lord has used you in his service, to a man or a woman, I've never heard anybody say much more than this one right here. Well, hey, thank you so much for going and, and serving in that way. And I, I, this almost always comes out one way or the other. Well, it's quite all right. It was certainly my privilege. It blessed me more than I was able to bless them. And one of the things that, Warren Wiersbe talks about, and I think it's so true, is that when we're serving for the Lord, or serving the Lord and serving His people, don't forget that God's not only serving and blessing the people or the object of the service, but He's blessing the servant. And He cares about the servant in the service. And you've felt that, and you know that, when God's given you a measure of grace or patience, or love, or uh, rest, so that you could go and do the thing maybe you didn't think you could do, or didn't want to do, or anything of those sorts. And the Lord's come through and blessed you in the service. And this psalmist is saying as they're singing it, hey, just praise the Lord, but you servants of the Lord. It's a call to the servants of the Lord to praise too. I mean, think about it. Praise the Lord. Just that is a encouragement to go praise the Lord, but it's also a statement. I'm praising the Lord, but I'm also encouraging you to go praise the Lord, the, the psalmist is saying. And then you servants. Oh, you servants, you have such reason to praise the Lord because in your service, he's doing something in you. And then he says and goes on and it talks about praising the name of the lord when he talks about the name of the lord just always circle it or think of it and know it what he's talking about is praising the character of god praising him for who he is and his attributes and i say it here all the time and some of you've taken me up or taken me up on it and i encourage you to do this If you want to grow and be blessed, and not only grow and be blessed, but know God in a deeper way, and to be strong, and to do great exploits for the Lord, here's what you'll do. You'll study the attributes of God, and you'll root yourself, your faith in his attributes, and you'll trust him in those attributes. Now, why did I pick those words? Because in Daniel 11.32, it's said that if we will know our God, we'll become strong and do great exploits. Wow. And sometimes uh, great exploits aren't what the world calls great exploits. I'm convinced when we are in front of the Lord, I'm convinced, first of all, that some people are going to be there you never thought would have been there. Maybe some people aren't there that you thought were going to be there. But if we ever had a a chance to watch and be an observer at the Bema Seat Judgment, where God gives us rewards and crowns and evaluates our motives and things like that, I think we're going to be shocked at what God values versus what we value. The Lord's going to look down. At that person who is faithful every morning to be on their knees in prayer, praising him and loving on him and being and blessing him, and then standing in the gap and being a watchman early in the morning and day by day and late at night for people who need lifted up before the Lord, and even people who are ungrateful or unloving. I'm convinced that people who do things in secret and who don't tell anybody and don't need the applause of Instagram or Facebook or anything, who just do things quietly to serve the sick and the lost and the oppressed and the widows and the orphans. The reason I think people do that And commit to it and stay with it and can be that way in humility. And it's because they know God in a deep and powerful way. And that's enough for them. By the way, it's more than enough. And so here they're walking and they're praising the Lord. Their servants were called to praise the Lord. And what are they uh, uh, called to praise? The name of the Lord, the character of the Lord, the attributes of the Lord. And then they say, blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. What a song. What a song sang by our Savior. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. When you look around now, it's not happening much in a global way, and yet there's coming a time when the Lord's name will be praised. And until that time, we're called to praise the Lord and to give him his due and his honor. You're never healthier than when you're praising the Lord. You're never in the stream, more the stream of God's will than when you're praising the Lord. And why? Why is that? Well, you're going to find out here in the Psalms that are coming. But here's why. (laughs) Because everybody worships a God. The atheist worships the God. I don't care what they say. And their God is themselves. And many people who don't claim to be atheists, maybe even who dabble in religion and that sort of thing, make up a God. They make up a God of their own choosing, the God who just winks at sin or doesn't care if we do this or go there. But in reality, God must deal with sin. There are people who are worshiping a God that's not God. And it's really the God that they created, which once again is a way in which they can certainly worship themselves. And you're going to see that here as we move along in these Psalms. But the Lord is praised because He is unique, and He deserves the praise. And because of that, from the morning till the night, all day, every day, in an attitude of praise. The reason is, look, watch this. Because you become what you worship, or more important, who you worship. Why is it important to praise? Because you and I become what we worship. If we create our own gods, if we say we're an atheist, we're really worshiping ourselves. We might uh, worship nature, we might worship uh, money, or whatever. We become like the thing that we worship. But the funny, or the great part is, we can become more and more christ-like and one of the ways he does that is through our praise when do you feel most loved i bet you it's when you're crying out to the lord as one of those top five and you're praising and worshiping him and just real purity and no agenda just crying out to the Lord, wherever that may be, here or at home or in your car or whatever. We become what we worship. And here, the Lord's name is to be praised, just his character, his his beauty, his glory above the heavens. Uh, The Lord is high above all nations, and his glory is above the heavens. Sorry about that. This is a big God. God. The one true and living God is not a God that is made out of uh, little figurines or wood or stone who's here on earth. This is one who's high above all the nations and above even the heavens. And saying then, who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high? Derek Kidner in his commentary on the Psalms says this about praising the name of of the Lord. There is a point in specifying the Lord's servants and his name. Since worship to be accept, acceptable must be more than flattery. Did you catch that? Worship to be acceptable must be more than flattery and more than guesswork. It is the loving homage, listen to this, of the committed to the revealed. <laughs> of the committed you, me, us, to the revealed. God through Jesus. Boyce says this, In the case of God, the name of the Lord is all important, for it has to do with the revelation of who God is. In other words, it's not just any God we are to worship. We are to praise the one true Lord who has revealed himself in creation on Sinai and more recently in the person of his only son, Jesus of Nazareth. You're on the right track when you're praising him. Look at this verse. Who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heavens and in the earth. You see, this is staggering to the ancient mind. We might just say, oh, okay, well, that's a pretty cool thing. But to the ancient mind, none of their gods would condescend to the level of the human. I mean, this is the grace here that's captivating. This is what captivates our awe and wonder. It's his willingness to step down here and to pay attention to us in empathy and sympathy. As a man, as a human, it's almost too hard to believe. I mean... Andrew McLaren said this, God's loftiness can never be adequately measured. God's loftiness could never be adequately measured unless his condesc- condescension sorry is taken into account. And his condescension never sufficiently wondered at unless his loftiness is felt. Oh my. He has to stoop low to see not only the earth but also the heavens, one writer writes, and yet at the same time, watch this, he cares for the lowly. I mean, this is big stuff here, so big it blows your mind, and look what it ends with. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. That God, our God, who's big, and you sometimes can think to yourself, oh yeah, God so loved the world. So he loves this big blob of people. Millions and millions of people. That's a catchy tune. (laughs) Blobs and blobs of people, some people can say, but look at this, he loves just the one. A woman who was having a hard time. And he comes and blesses her in a compassionate way. He humbles himself. To behold the things that are in the heavens and the earth. It's condensation, condescension and it's hard to grasp it until you understand how high he is. He raises the poor out of the dust. Now this is fascinating. The psalmist knows the Bible because that is taken straight from 1 Samuel 2.8 in the song of Hannah and Samuel. He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap. In fact, this song of Hannah was repeated in the song of Mary. And it's here in verse 7. He raises the poor out of the dust and he lifts the needy out of the ash heap, which is where all the alienated, unwanted unwanted people are. The ones with scabs and sores. I was just reading this week. We were there last year and we witnessed it firsthand, uh, Kensington and uh, 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 the, the terrible part of Philly. There's this drug and there's this portion of this drug. And when they shoot it up, it doesn't just do something to you. It leaves gaping holes in the people's skin. It was a lead story yesterday in CNN. And when we were there, we were just walking down the street. And um, we could just see people shooting up and throwing their needles away and people with the scabs and limp. And it was awful and just unbelievable. And these were the people who would be in the ash heap. And you see the ministry there of the people at the rock reflecting and distributing the love of Christ here as he raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap. I think of that when I read this verse. And for anybody who went with us, they have to be thinking of that. And he's going to seat them with princes. Can you imagine being taken out of there and being seated with princes? Well, do, do something with me. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. This is what our Lord does for people. And I want you to know something. Never be ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God unto salvation. Listen, listen. You know what everybody needs? It's the gospel. And when you go down to homeless, which I know they do, feed them, clothe them and give them the gospel. And when you're in the rock and I know they do, they're they're amazing there in Kensington, in Philadelphia with the gaping sores. The gospel. Listen to what the Lord can do. And you, he made alive. Verse 1, who were dead. If you're sitting here and you're a born-again, spirit-filled Christian, this is what happened to you. You were dead. You might have thought you were a great moral person but your sins weren't forgiven. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. You better not be too cocky and too uh, spiritually superior when you become a Christian. Watch it. That's what you were. And only by the grace of God have you come out of that, or have I come out of that. Because we conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, oh my. Children of wrath, just as the others. But God, praise the Lord, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Do you feel it? Do you know it? Some people have a problem receiving love. If you do, just go to Jesus. He's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were ugly, dead, enemies, lonely, on the ash heap. in trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. Oh, wow. Praise the Lord. By grace, you've been saved. That's enough for jumping up and down and clapping your hands. It's better than a Super Bowl. It's better than all that stuff. This is it, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Watch. Look how big the plan is for your life. You think your plan is just to do this tomorrow or do that tomorrow or to fix this or to fix that? Well, in the ages to come, he's going to show you the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved. Through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are as workmanship. Oh, you grand and glorious poemas. Your poems, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Look, he raises the poor out of the dust. You see it now? And he lifts the needy out of the ash heap. People need the gospel, folks. That we'd be seated with princes, oh my, on a throne. With the princes of a people, I'm back to Psalm now. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. Our Lord sang this song as he was walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, the Mount of Olives. He sings this one next with his followers, when Israel, Psalm 114, went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language. Now that was under the old covenant, the greatest or one of the great acts of redemption that the Lord did for the people under the old covenant. I read you the act of redemption for us under the new covenant. Ephesians chapter 2, what's true of us because of the Lord. But see, we were strangers and we were in a strange land and we were in bondage to sin and we couldn't free ourselves and we needed a Savior. And His people, He told them to put blood over the doorpost and wait and the angel of death will pass over and Jesus is our Passover Lamb. And when He's walking and singing, the Lord is remembering this as a picture of what he's about ready to do. Can you imagine singing this and walking to your crucifixion? Well, he was doing it, set in stone, recognizing the joy that was set before him, and yet he knew with, as he sweat blood what was about ready to happen. Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me but not my will, Lord. Your will be done. All of that running through his mind as he's singing and remembering that Judah became his sanctuary, the sanctuary of God. Listen, that's true. In in Exodus, they started to make a tent and Israel was his dominion. That's where he reigned and ruled. And yet Watch, I want you to see something. What was the purpose for Israel? It wasn't to contain God's love. It was to display God's love to uh, all the world. That was the purpose for Israel. And he's singing this and he knows it. And then it says, or or, excuse me, and then I want to point you to, uh, as we are studying Ephesians and recognize Ephesians and what has happened for us, we also recognize that in several places... It tells us now that God dwells in His people. So you had in the Old Testament He's dwelling in a tent, a tabernacle, the glory of the Lord, and now the Bible tells us that you're the temple of the Lord and that the Holy Spirit resides in you. That's what we know. Judah was His sanctuary, Israel His dominion. They were be a light to the Gentiles. We know as we sing and think on this psalm that God dwells in us. Oh man, the way we act sometimes is so not that. And yet he does. Imagine what Jesus must have been thinking as he's reading this. We were a stranger in a land and it was all pointing to me so that people could come out Of that land and be freed from their sins and watch and let the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, live in them. That's what I'm going to do. As he sings it, and the sea (laughs) saw it. Seesaw, there's a seesaw in the Bible. The sea saw it and fled. Here he personifies nature, as often a psalmist would do, and he saw it and fled. Jordan turned back. The sea saw it and fled. What? The Red Sea. God went before His people. You get that? You know, some of you are headed to uh, Hungary here in a little bit. Guess what? God's going before you. Some of you are going to go down Monday night to a homeless ministry. Guess what? The Lord's going before you. And on and on we could go. But here he recounts the history and personifies nature and says the sea saw what? The power of God. And they fled at the Red Sea, and Jordan turned back, and the mountains skipped like lambs, and the little hills like lambs, as all creation comes to know. God's plan. What ails you, O sea, that you fled? O Jordan, that you turned back? O mountains that you skipped like rams? O little hills like uh, lambs? Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. That's what we're seeking. See, that's what it is. That's what Jesus is delivering. What is he delivering? He's delivering the presence of the Lord. That's what the Bible is about. His people wouldn't even move in the Old Testament without that presence going before them in clouds and fires. You, you know this. And it says, tells to us if, it, if, the, if the cloud didn't move, they didn't move. Why? Because it was the presence of the Lord. And that's what we need, is the presence of the Lord. You see, we're looking for love in all the wrong places, and satisfaction, and this and that, when in reality what we need is the Lord's presence, and we have it by the person and work of Jesus. Do we tremble at that? Now, nah, you know, it can be so rote and so traditional that we can sort of get in a, a place where we're not trembling anymore over God's presence. So, tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. Notice, O earth, it's not just Israel. Jesus is delivering to the whole world. (laughs) He's singing about it. Who turned the rock into a pool of water. That's the Exodus 17 story. When they were in the uh, wilderness, Moses delivered some water out of a rock, and that was a good thing. But later on, in Numbers 20, there was this time when he didn't represent the Lord well when he was trying to get water out of a rock. And you know all that story. Or you know those stories. So they're singing about the real, raw history of Israel. That even though there were things that they didn't do right, or even sinful, the Lord kept moving with them as His plan was going to go forward and get through. Look at one fifteen, and we'll finish Now, this is a fascinating psalm. Almost every commentator says this is one of those litanies where a clergy would say something, and or maybe a leader would open, like in verse 1, with this, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. And then in verses 2 through 8, the people respond. Oh, and anyway, because of your mercy and because of your truth. And then in 2 through 8, it appears that the people respond. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. Eyes they have, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. Noses they have, but they don't smell. They have hands, but they don't handle. Feet they have, but they don't walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. There's the verse. What you worship and make, you become. So is everyone who trusts in them. And then it appears that a choir comes in in 9 through 11. O oh, Israel, trust in the Lord. He's their help and their shield. O oh, house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. Who is the house of Aaron? The priests who are called the minister in the tabernacle area or the temple areas. A word for the leaders. Uh, But anyway, uh, O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Uh, You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He's their help and their shield. And now the people again come back in 12 through 13. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He'll bless the house of Aaron. Uh, He'll bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great, and it appears that the priests or maybe the choir finish it out. May, May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. Uh, May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's. But the earth he has given to the children of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Now, I want you to go back. Put this one on your refrigerator. Remember this one. Verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. I want you to see something with me. Turn to Matthew 26 again as we sort of finish out the story. Matthew 26. I'm having a tough time getting there. As we sort of finish out the story, they had sung a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives. That's verse 30 of 26. Then Jesus said to them, All of you are going to be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Hey, I can just imagine slamming his fist down. Hey, even if all are made to stumble, Jesus, because of you, I'll never be made to stumble. Watch, making such all-encompassing statements. (laughs) And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Man, Peter gets a bad rap, doesn't he? Watch, watch this. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to him, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch to, with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, "O oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I just said this, but I want you to see it. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now flip back to Psalm 115. Can you imagine Jesus getting close to the Garden of Gethsemane, singing these hymns, and he sings this, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Whoever sang this psalm understood that when God does amazing, wonderful things, the glory should be given to God. Not to God's people, listen, even if they are in some sense active in the work. The glory should go unto God and to his holy name. One commentator says this, I love this. This is the godly man or godly woman's motto and his daily or her daily practice. What? Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Why? Because as G. Campbell Morgan says, not first for the welfare of the people does the psalmist care. What he cares about is the vindication of his God. Now watch. This is a deep note and all too rare in our music. We are ever in danger of putting the welfare of man before the glory of God, G. Campbell Morgan. And so not unto us, O Lord, not unto us. We're a people who live and are happy in obscurity. Do you get that? We're a people who honor the Lord and give him the glory for the things that he's done. Why? Because Christ lives in us. you saw at the climax of all history when his life was on the line not my will but yours be done and he laid down his life and it's because of your mercy and because of your truth that the psalmist and Jesus could say this about the father and why should the Gentiles say so where is their God when people live like this watch When people live by the power of the Holy Spirit, verse one, the answer to the question, where is their God, will start getting answered. And when we just talk about it and put everything out and do everything on Facebook and all those sorts of things, that's just phony falseness. (laughs) It's just nothing. It's like cotton candy. But when you live like this, giving glory to the Lord, not caring about anything but His acceptance, the Gentiles will say, oh, there's their God, right there. And he goes on and he describes what idols look like. They're silver and gold. And this was a problem in Israel's life. Remember, this was their besetting sin. This was the thing that brought them into exile along with not keeping the, uh, uh, the Sabbaths and all that sort of thing, and the year of Jubilee and all that sort of thing. But after Babylon, it seemed like they never really had much more problem with that. But So in here, in this psalm, we see what an idol was like, and, and I mean, it's, it's just silly. They don't, you can put a mouth on an idol, but there's nothing that's coming out they have eyes, but they don't see anything. They have ears, but can't hear. Noses, can't smell. Hands, but they can't feel or touch or, or do anything. And Feet, but they can't even walk. Nor, nor can anything really come out of any throat. And those that make them are like them. Do you see what do you see? The, it's like the punchline. And before you start pointing the fingers at idols up on a counter or a, a mantle or something, be careful because there's idols in our lives. And the Lord just wants to get rid of those things and make him at the top of our affections. Lord, wouldn't you say in 2020, or, or excuse me, people, wouldn't you say in 2023 that one of our great prayers would be, Lord, just make us single-minded people, not double-minded. Trust in the Lord Israel, or trust in the Lord Israel, he's their help. And then, O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. And see, that's amazing because I think what he's saying there is, leaders, be nearest to him. Trust him. Lead the people in your trust. Have them see that you're trusting and not doubting, and lead the way in what Spurgeon calls holy confidence. Because he's the help and their shield. He'll fight things off. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He's our help and our shield. And the people come back and say, oh, yes, but we will be blessed. The house of Israel will be blessed. And what were they, why were they saying that with confidence? Because the Lord told them in Leviticus and Deuteronomy with the blessings and curses of the law. And he set it out for them, including things like rain, and stuff like that. And so they had confidence in the promises of God here. And that's what we're to be. That's where we're to walk, so that the Lord will give us increase. I want you to see something, though. Down here in verse 17, it says, The dead don't praise the Lord. Why is that? Because those who worship dead idols die. But those who worship the living God live. And when I read that, and I think when you read that, it just takes that feeling of playing around in church. You just want to ball it up and throw it out the window and not play anymore. There are people dying. In fact, many people are dying and they don't even know that they're dying. In fact, many people in America, like I used to be, think they're doing the right thing. They're building their kingdom, their kingdom. They're building their nest egg and they're counting on it and it becomes their idol. And all the while, they're giving away eternal life. So as we wrap up, I just want you to remember... Our Lord sang these songs. He was marching here and singing those. Must have known, of course he knew, and know what was coming, and and yet all of this is pointing towards him. Powerful. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we come and we pray, Lord, that you would help us and fill us up. Oh, boy. Lord, there are people who are dying all around us. There's no life. They, like we used to, are worshiping dead things. And if they don't have the gospel, will die in their sins. And so, Lord, I pray that You would prepare hearts as You go before for each one of the people here who are listening here tonight. I pray wherever they go this week, tomorrow, tonight, that you'd prepare the hearts of the people who they're going to encounter. And I pray, Lord, you'd give them boldness and confidence in you as you fill them up to share the love and light of Christ with a world that's on the trash heap. In Jesus' name we pray.